All right. Hey, can I just say real quick, we have a lot of like grandparent visitors in the audience today. Who do we have going on? Well, we had a grand a grandson come and visit some grandparents here. The Wilsons, Kelly and Weston, came to visit. We've got, uh, is that the mayors back there? Hey, guys, good to see you. And we've got the Beckton's are here. Wes and Ingrid, they're going to do our communion. And no grandkids yet, no babies yet. But I see uh, your, your sister and your mom are here to visit, Katie. Good job. So great to see you guys. We love having all the visitors. I'm going to pull up my stuff here. We are going to start a new series called Treasuring God. This series is going to be, um, it's going to be kind of long. We're going to look at what does it mean to treasure God? What is our, um, what is our, all the different facets of our relationship with God? And what does that look like when you examine it from slightly different angles? And so today we're going to start by looking at uh, treasuring the word. We could start anywhere. This is where we're going to start. Treasuring the Word. So basically, it's a sermon about our relationship with the Bible, but we're going to try to look at it from several different perspectives, okay? Let me just finish pulling this up. So if you, we're going to stay in the book of John for this whole lesson. If you want to open up your Bible to the book of John, we're going to start in John 1. And we are going to start here where it talks about Jesus being the Word of God. So go straight to John 1. Here we go. At its core... This lesson is going to be a lesson primarily about humility. It's about the Bible, it's about the Word, it's about our relationship with God. But at its core, it's a a lesson about humility. And can we live in submission to the Word of God? Or are we going to navigate life always trying to fit the Word of God into our will? Our way of thinking, the way we see it. Humility. So, point number one, or the intro if you want, Jesus, the Word. The beginning of John, we read about this crazy thing called the Word. In the Greek, it's the logos. It's the divine information. I don't know if anyone studied in college, like, information systems or, like, information theory. Like, what do you do with ideas and knowledge and information? Well, you got to do something with it. And God, that is part of God's nature... And in John 1, this is what it says. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So there's this thing, the Word. The Logos of God. It's this mysterious, powerful creative, all their force. And it's part of God. And then 10 verses later, if you skip to verse 14, it says, 
that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So what John is trying to get us to say is this part of God, this mysterious, powerful, creative force that is part of God became Jesus. He walked the earth as a man to show us how it's supposed to be done. He had many interactions with people that misunderstood a lot of what he was trying to do. They thought they knew how things were going to go. And Jesus was saying, you don't, you're not going to get it. Now we read the Bible and we read about these people that had all these interactions with Jesus and we can get so smug. Because we can think, man, if I was there, if I was standing there and Jesus was teaching me, I would have gotten it. I would not have made the mistakes that they made. But we're going to look at three interactions that Jesus had with real people. So this is a, a, a human being, this, these people, and they're having an interaction, a face-to-face interaction with the Logos of God. The Word of God in flesh is right in front of them, and it doesn't go very well. We're going to look at three bad examples And I want us to ask ourselves a very important question. Do I do this when I encounter the Word of God? Do I make the same mistake with the Word of God that I have at my disposal now that they made when they had the perfect Word of God standing in front of them? So we're just going to go start going through them. Point number one, defensive. Defensive? I was thinking about calling this maybe offended But I decided to go with defensive. Let's look in John 8. Now, each one of these, write them down, study them out for your quiet time. These are are larger stories that we don't have time to like really dig in, especially this one. But each one of these, it could be like a, a really good quiet time later in the week. But let's look at a defensive reaction to the Word of God. John 8, starting in verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now, please read this whole story. This is a fascinating conversation. It starts with, to the Jews who had believed him. It ends later on with, and then they tried to kill him. In one conversation, that's what Jesus did to this crowd. And so Jesus puts forth this statement. If you hold to my teachings, then you'll you'll be my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It was very specific. It It was true. It was a very helpful statement. And yet, this is something that Jesus does regularly. Start reading the Gospels through this lens. I think we talked about this when we were doing the parables and some other things at midweek. It's almost like he had a little bit of um, a little bit of fertilizer in that statement that was it's gonna whatever you have in your heart, I'm gonna talk to you in a way that's gonna make that grow. Whatever you have in your heart, I'm gonna bring it out of you by the way that I communicate with you. This is something that Jesus was really, really good at. When we try this, we fail all the time. But Jesus was really good at this. 
When he said, the truth will set you free, he pricked something in their hearts. And what we see is it pricked some pride. They they didn't respond well to this. If you hold to my teaching, then you'll know the truth. I'm sure they thought they already knew the truth, whether they hold to your teaching or not. And then, and then they respond in a way that is not wise. Now, it's important to note that Jesus could have said it differently. He could have, but he did not. He said it this way. He could have gotten a different response if he'd have said it a little differently, but he didn't. He said it this way to get the response that he got. And what was that? It was defensiveness. It was pride. And if you read the rest of the story, it just keeps escalating and escalating. And their defensiveness and their pride caused them to say things that weren't even true. When they were like, we're Abraham's descendants, have never been slaves of anyone. That's not true. Read the Old Testament. They've been slaves multiple times. But it was their pride that was like, how dare you talk to us like that? And Jesus brought this out in their hearts. But here's my question. When we read the Bible, when we go to the Word of God, are we looking for that in our hearts? Are we looking to let Jesus do that to us? Here's here's a way I worded it. Do I allow the Bible to reveal pride in my heart and then deal with it appropriately? Or do we respond like these people? And we let our flesh turn that prideful response into anger. I mean, they, they were like, hey, Jesus, you're cool. One conversation later, they're like, now you got to die. Sorry. It's time to die, Jesus, because you can't talk to us that way. Do we let our flesh turn pride into anger? And then and we're going to look at two more examples of, of the way we do this. But do we allow, do we go to the Bible? If you, if you have like a morning quiet time, morning Bible study time, like, do you go there and say, Jesus, show me, show me my pride? Or do we open it up and go, Jesus, tell me I'm right. <laughs> Soothe my comfort. Help me know that I'm right and everyone else is wrong. Or do we go saying, Jesus, you're really good at this. I want you to do the thing that you do all throughout the Gospels. I want you to do it to me right now. Reveal my pride. Guys, I'm going to be totally honest. If you haven't read the parable of the sheep and the goats in a while, put it on your list. Read it tomorrow. When I read the parable of the sheep and the goats, it convicts me every time. Because Jesus is saying, hey, the way that you treat other other people, I take that very personally. And if you want to know if you're on the right side or the wrong side, I can tell you. Just look at the way you treat other people. Are you helping people? I call it the work of the sheep. Are you doing the work of the sheep? And we should go there and be very uncomfortable. We should not go to the parable of the sheep and goats and try to like make it fit into some fancy new theology doctrine where we're like oh yeah I'm good we're good we should be challenged every time we read the parable of the sheep and the goats same thing with the fruit and the vine we should read that and go oh my gosh 
Am I producing fruit? Or am I dying on the vine, withering away? But if we wake up in the morning and we're like, I want to go to the scriptures and I just want to feel good. Like, that's there and you can find that, but you're missing something. You're missing a crucial interaction that Jesus had with people. Where he's like, what did we call it at midweek? Stabbing the pride? He's like, Jesus has a little knife. He's like, I will stab you right in the pride. And then you'll, then you'll react and I'll know where you stand. If you want to be people who treasure the word, then we're going to have to use the word to confront and convict all the unchristlike parts of your character. Otherwise, we're just religious hypocrites holding on to our comfort. And so when we get into the, when we get into the Bible... We have this opportunity to have an authentic interaction with the Logos, the Word of God, just like these people did with Jesus, and yet he said something that bugged them, and they said, no, I'm done with you. They were defensive, they were offended, and they were lashed out. We need to let the Bible reveal pride in our hearts. Amen? Amen we got two more. <laughs> they, don't get, they don't get easier. <laughs> Impatient. This is a weird one. We get impatient. Let's look in John. What is this? John 10. John 10, 24. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you didn't believe me. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. This is Jesus stabbing people in the pride again. He knows just the right thing to say to get the, whatever's in there out. And it comes out pretty quickly. Jesus has, at this point, Jesus has been talking for a long time, hinting that he's the Messiah. But there was still a lot of confusion. There's a lot of confusion. And it's very obvious at the beginning of this passage. They're like, come on, are you or are you not? Just tell us plainly, yes or no. And then he says yes, and it's very plain what he says right there, but then he immediately jumps back into something that sounds kind of confusing. He's like, yes, I told you. And then he starts talking about sheep again. And people are like, stop with, the, stop with this stuff. Just tell us. Like, do we start stabbing Romans or not? Like, tell us. When are you going to go into the temple and start kicking things over again? Some of the people had reached to the end of their patience. Jesus regularly spoke in parables and, and mysterious language. And people were like, I'm tired of this. Just step one, step two, step three. Like, what's the, let's codify this. Let's, like, solidify this. Let's, like, create some, some, something around this that we can structure. And there's an implication of, I'm done waiting be clear right now. 
But for all the reasons that we might not know, Jesus was totally fine with mystery. He was totally fine with parables. He was totally fine with a certain ambiguity. And these people that he's standing in front of saw no value in any of that. When he, as soon as he starts talking about parables, they're like, oh my gosh, blah, 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 blah. Tell us. And we're, we're, I'm hinting at something here. It's the messiness of mystery in the identity of God. There's a certain mystery that we're not going to understand. Try your whole life. You're never going to fully understand every aspect of who God is. And it's actually very freeing when you realize, oh, I don't have to. Everything doesn't have to be boiled down into like a crystallized doctrine or theology. Or I'm allowed to live in a certain messiness of mystery. But here's my, that's my question for you. How do I handle the messiness of mystery? We read the Bible and we are looking for solid, concrete answers. Like, man... And, and you'll see them. If you go to Baker Bookhouse or one of the Christian bookstores, you'll see these little things. It might be in the back of your Bible right now. If I'm dealing with this, here's the verse to go to. You've seen those? Man, guys, sometimes those are silly. Because you go to the verse and you're like, really? Is that about that? They're, it's like they're grasping at straws. Some dude at Zondervan's like, I don't know. Jeremiah, whatever. Like, but we want... We want solid, concrete. If I'm having this problem, I can go to this verse and it'll, it'll take care of it. The reality is, if, you're really, if you really treasure the Word of God, if you're really a student of the Bible and you live in submission to the Word of God, you're going to realize that that doesn't always work. You're going to go to a certain verse and you're going to be like, well, maybe it doesn't mean that. When I was a baby Christian, I... Guys... I said some of the dumbest stuff. I look back now and I'm like, why? Why did you say that? Like you knew everything. Like you were so sure of yourself. And I remember, I think I, it was one of my family members. Um, they, I, I sent them the Acts 2.44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And I, I, I preached that as if like, well, we don't have everything in common, so maybe one of us isn't right. And now I preach the exact opposite. That in the messiness of church, a truly first, like, if we want to be like a first century church, once, once all the people got mixed in, it was messy. And Paul and Peter, they didn't, they didn't try to like erase the mess. They were like, we're going to live in this for a while. But when we encounter something that reminds us of the mysteries of the kingdom of God, does it, does it mess us up? And we're like, no, we've got we to make this, we've got to figure this out. We've got to systematize this. We've got we to gotta get things easy. When we encounter something that reminds us of the mysteries of of the nature of God, do we want it boiled down into like a theology that I can write down and teach and, and understand easily? 
When we encounter something that reminds us of the mysteries of Jesus, do we want to quickly define him according to my ideas, my culture, my time now? Guys, the more I learn about the person of Jesus and the identity of the Creator God, I'm blown away by the mysteriousness of it. And there's part of me that used to hate it, and now I feel like I'm embracing it. But it's not something you can embrace like, okay, I, now I get it. It's almost like you have to just embrace like, I, I'm never going to fully get it. But I love it. I love who God is and his unknowableness to my feeble human brain right now. And so when someone asks me a question, and I'm like, I don't know. I say I don't know a lot. Hey, so what do you think this? And I'm like, I don't know. And one of the things I say is, I have a long list of questions that I'm going to ask God someday. And I can't wait. But right now, the point is to to make sure that I get to ask him those things. When I get to crawl up in God's lap on the throne and be like, okay, I got a lot of questions, God, because I didn't understand any of life. Like, help me out. But I want to be in that line to sit on his lap on the throne. Amen. How do you handle the messiness of mystery? I got one last one. This is where... People just decide, I'm done. We stop listening. We call it quits. We take a a break. Let's look in John 6. This is my last one. Jesus says something that really threw people for a loop. In John 6.56, he says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, if that was just a standalone thing in the Bible, we'd be like, I, we got we to wrestle this. We got to figure it out. What I love is that this is in a narrative that goes on to say this. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus says something that at the time people were like, I don't have a clue what he is talking about. Eating his flesh? Drinking his blood? But I love that in the story, John includes, they didn't know what he was talking about, and they decided, I'm done. We're going we're gonna to call it quits. Jesus purposefully gives a very confusing uh, teaching. It pushed his audience way out of their comfort zone. And they weren't humble enough to ask for an explanation. So when Jesus gives you something that confuses you, 
they could have come closer and said, Jesus, what do you mean by that? No, I really want to know. What do you mean? Like, how does that work? But instead, they took a step back. They're like, "Mm, yeah, I'm done with this guy. Now, here's what's important. The disciples were also confused. The 12, his closest guys. They were also confused, and yet they understood, well, it's better to be confused with Jesus than sure of myself without Jesus. Both groups of people had doubts. Both groups of people had lots of confusion. But only one group was desperate for Jesus. The other group was like, I'll figure it out on my own. See ya. But the question is, what about us? my, My biggest fear is that too many of us fall into that category of, I'd rather be fine on my own than desperate for Jesus. Do I let my confusion and doubts dictate my obedience? As long as I don't have any doubts or any confusion, I'm good. And then Jesus does things that introduce confusion and doubts. Why would he do that? Jesus, just make it like a school where I show up, I take the test, and we we, we can go step by step and everything's easy. And he's like, oh, I'm going to throw you so many curveballs. I'm going to push you to the edge of your comprehension. I'm going to push you to the edge of your comfort. I'm going to push you to the edge of what do you believe. But do we have the hearts of the disciples who didn't understand what Jesus was saying, but they just simply admit, well, we have to stay with you. That's what I love. It's almost like I heard one guy describe this almost like the mafia. Where it's like, well, I can't leave. You're the only option. Guys, if you think you're going to live a life of a Christian and and avoid doubt and avoid confusion, you're fooling yourself. You need to train yourself so that when you experience those things, you go towards the Word of God. Towards Jesus. There is a, I think I've mentioned it a couple weeks ago, I don't know, the idea of um, deconstruction. Deconstruction is is a totally normal thing in the life of a Christian. I have been deconstructing my faith and reconstructing my faith for the last 22 years. It should be a regular practice of confronting the preconceptions that you might have and strengthening the foundation of your faith. Like if you, anything that you built that needed a foundation, you'd be like, hey, are we still good down there? Okay, we're good. The foundation is still strong. Here's my fear, though. For many, it has become the process of learning how to be fine all on your own. I've talked to good friends of mine, people that, you know, I was their minister. People I love very, very dearly. And, like, yeah, I'm going through a season of deconstruction right now. What does that mean? What's the reality of the situation? 
Stop going to church. Stop reading the Bible. Stop seeking wise counsel. Stop building spiritual community. Well, yeah, how's that going? Very bad, actually. Not great. And I think one of the saddest things that that I've seen over the years is when someone is struggling with some sometimes foundational aspect of their faith. And it's like they're drowning. I keep spitting. It's like they're drowning. and And you're like, yeah, oxygen is up here. You need to come out, like swim up. And they're like, nah, I'll find out on my own. And they're swimming down away from the thing that will save them. And everybody's like, that's not going to go well for you. Guys, I, seriously, I truly believe that is what community is for a Christian. That when you are struggling with doubt or confusion or anything, you need strong spiritual people in your life. And I can't, I can't tell you how shocked I've been to see people who get, they're, they're, they're really trying to figure stuff out, and then they move away from everybody that can help them. And that's what the, these people did. Jesus is right there. Jesus is standing in front of their face, And he says something that is like, I don't get that. And their answer is, I'm going to leave Jesus. And so that's my question. Do I let my confusion and doubts dictate my obedience? Here is the word of God. It does these three very important things. And we need to let it. The Word of God exposes your pride. When you open the Bible, you should should say a little prayer. Like, God, just stab me right in the pride right now. He will. If you ask for that, get ready. Because He will. The Word of God leaves room for mystery. When you think you've got it all figured out, woe to you. I, I can almost guarantee, set, a, set an alarm, come back a couple of years later, you'll be like, I didn't know what I was talking about. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then the Word of God walks you through doubt. We think that the Word of God should, like, doubt-proof us. That we should never feel any confusion, or we should never go through any seasons of testing. We should, we should once we're on Team Jesus, oh, we'll always feel totally secure in everything, and we'll never go through any doubt. That's not what Jesus did in the flesh. He literally led people into doubt and then was like, are you going to keep following me? Because I can lead you out of doubt. And some, his disciples said yes, but then some people were like, no, I'm done. And we need to understand that when we read the Bible. We're going to read things and we're going to go, I have no idea what he's saying. We need to walk through that. So John wants us to know that Jesus is the word of God in human form. And then he shows us several examples of people who miss the most amazing opportunity. Think about it. They were face-to-face with Jesus. I want to be face-to-face with Jesus. And we assume we would never repeat those mistakes. I would never say those things 
that they said to Jesus. But it's easy to see that we might actually have the exact same relationship with the Bible that they had with Jesus face to face. So we're going to keep going this series. We're going to talk about treasuring different aspects of God. I wanted to just start with the Word. If we truly want to treasure the Word of God, we have to be humble. We have, guys, we have to be so humble. Let Jesus expose pride in our hearts. We have to accept a certain amount of mysteriousness. We have to strive for a life of learning. And then we have to draw nearer to the Word when we don't understand something. Commit to the relationship. Don't give up. Amen? Amen. Guys, and with that, I have asked Wes Becton to do our communion. So Wes, come on up.